This is Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The show where social, political, economic, spiritual, and philosophical discourse goes to live. We never give up the high moral ground, take no political divisioners, and fight until the bitterness ends. And now, here's your host, recovering hope addict and paid volunteer in the American experiment, Jeff Stein. Thank you so much for joining me. A lot of a lot of crazy out there. A lot of cray cray. It's pretty fear. A lot of fear. The fear is high, and uh, that means the growth is high. That's the nice thing about an era where people are freaking out and discord and conflict are high. Uh, is that the growth is big? So today on Possibility Politics, the, you will have the usual news. A lot of stories breaking, especially concerning the state of our gender and sexual relations. But one big topic that we need to revisit that I want to hit at the top of this show is fake news and the lesson we've intended to learn in this world of alternative facts. Allow me to explain. But first, uh, thanks Juan Velasquez for producing the show, Executive Ryan for making it grow, and a big thanks to the world's biggest content producer from which I broadcast now, Premier Networks, the division of iHeartMedia, all rights reserved, uses directed, please allow five business days for cancellation to appear on your bill. Uh, (laughs) Fake news, fake news. That's what I want to talk about most. What is it? What do you want and why do you want it? And the first step in growth and evolution and rising above is awareness. First step is always awareness, right? Because like our sexual harassment debate, which we're going to get to later, we are in the awareness phase and that's leading to rapid change. Right. And by the way, every time you see massive social progress before it takes hold, there is a broader awareness of the problem. The awareness precedes it. Before that, before the awareness, of course, there is a festering disease that is undiagnosed. Nobody knows what the problem is. Not enough, a small percentage. So, you know, we're throwing the equivalent of leeches and rituals and castor oil at fungal, at some fungal infection, not knowing that none of those things are going to work. And so on the lesson of fake news and like everything that uh, rises to the top of social discourse, you know, like a like a wildfire exploding with strong winds and no sign of containment. That's kind of where we are with fake news. Uh, I only say that because in Los Angeles, we're experiencing that. Uh, But Donald Trump, for instance, in his infinite ability to oversimplify everything, has been a gift to this lesson of fake news, which is so funny because he loves the expression, because he has so unavoidably called attention and awareness to the lesson we must learn. Because, by the way, fake news is kind of the primary battlefield in World War III. It's like, what, Jeff? World War III? You know, people always thought, and go with me, just just follow me. You're gonna, this is going to bring it back around so it makes sense. People always thought that World War III would be some kind of globally impacting nuclear holocaust, right? But anybody, any learned philosophical, spiritual, religious, or scientific person from today or from history would agree that that isn't the next step any more than they would say that the evolution of a human baby doesn't go from learning to eat and walk and talk to learning to eat and walk and talk faster and faster and faster. But rather, the next phase is for the baby, which is to be more conscious, you know, a better thinker, not just a better basic functioner of eating and walking and talking. And so nuclear war isn't the evolution that follows conventional war, because that's just endedness. The next evolution is learning the lesson of war, not escalating it until we're all dead. It's recognizing that we're all in this together, that war divides us 
territorially, you know, et cetera, in an ever increasingly, you know, world that is global interconnectivity. War divides that, but the realization is that we're connected. And you can see it, right, in history. Wars have always been, of course, ideological as well as territorial in the past, but it was far more about might makes right than evolution of humanity, right? World War II, for instance, that's a big one. We love that reference. as a big major turning point. Was, of course, ideological, but it was far more about land, weapons, and control of information and beliefs and loyalties and factions, not the evolution of ideas. If, if World War II was to evolve us, we wouldn't have continued just making wars for the same reason. Now, again, with World War II and each war that followed, it was more and more about ideology and less and less about territory or strength. And so the World War III that we are in right now is when the tipping point occurs, the evolution occurs, and henceforth, all conflicts are decided by winning the hearts and minds more than the resources and weapons. Because even the weapons and resources that are used and disputed in response uh, are the are response to the def dif differences of ideology. It's still about ideology. Because this World War III, it won't have like a, a single VE victory in Europe or a VJ Day or an armistice parade or something like that. It will be people making their voices heard for where they stand with their hearts and minds. And, and you can hear when I say that. You can see that. That is what is happening. Now, if you take like like ISIS or the KKK or, or, or terrorists of any kind, foreign or domestic, they may have an actual territorial stronghold or location that can be bombarded. They control one city or another or they have a rally or something. But you will never defeat radical fear and hatred by bombing a location or a select group of instigators. That's just the way it is. They are us. We are them. And that is the lesson and victory of World War III that is recognizing that. And we are recognizing that. Remember in Vietnam, right, which is, again, we go from World War II where it was like the last territorial, really you know, was more percentage territorial and, 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 and power and strength and, and less ideology. Uh, in Vietnam, by the time we got to Vietnam, it was more and more about ideology. And Muhammad Ali said it best. Remember when he said, why should they ask me to put on a uniform and go 10,000 miles from home and drop bombs and bullets on brown people in Vietnam while so-called Negro people in Louisville are treated like dogs and denied simple human rights? No, I'm not going 10,000 miles from home to help murder and burn another poor nation simply to continue the domination of white slave masters of the darker people the world over. This is the day when such evils must come to an end. I have been warned that it, to take a stand will cost me millions of dollars, but I've said it once and I will say it again. The real enemy of my people is here. It is us. I will not disgrace my religion, my people, or myself by becoming a tool to enslave those who are fighting for their own justice, freedom, and equality. If I thought the war was going to bring freedom and equality to 22 million of my people, they wouldn't have to draft me. I'd join tomorrow. I have nothing to lose by standing up for my beliefs, so I'll go to jail. So what? We've been in jail for 400 years. And you can see, he makes the point that war with bombs against the select certain people of the moment is not a war over ideology. It is a war of power over others. And so he was shifting the belief to recognize it was ideology. Even Ali didn't fully you know, understand what he was ushering in because he too was in more fear than love, more desperation than inspiration. But without knowing it, he moved us toward World War III, the time when it would be almost all about ideology. So. How does this 
How does this relate to fake news? <laughs> That's the question you're asking. So when we come back, uh, I am going to jump into that and I'm going to give you the antidote and the answer and the reason and the way forward when it comes to fake news when we return to Possibility Politics. This is Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. This is the place where we try to provide a more satisfying perspective on life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. And we're talking about fake news. So how does fake news you know, come into, what is the lesson? Right? I'll give you the punchline first. The lesson of fake news is to teach us that we are more alike than different, that we can choose to agree rather than focus on differences. Now, fake news appears to be about facts versus falsehoods. You know, right versus wrong. It is, but it isn't. The, 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 and as I said before, the millennia of wars have been largely based on that worldview. Right versus wrong, facts versus falsehood. Where, where, you know, we're right, they're wrong, we can't agree on facts, so we'll use force and might will make us right. All right? That's the way it's been for a while. And then it's been tipping, 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 tipping. It started uh, you know, all the way through until now, again, the World War III slash yin and yang. Because facts are always interpretable, right? Someone says, you know, you, you can even argue over the sun being up. Someone says, it's daytime here. The sun is up. Another person says, but wait, there's the moon, the stars, and no sun. How can you say it's daytime here? Well, not right here, but it is for half the planet. And, and since we're all on the same planet, then it's always daylight here. It's like, well, wait a minute. No, no, I mean right here. The sun is not up right here. No, it was a matter of minutes ago. Are you calling me a liar? Are you saying I don't know what a daylight looks like? The people in my country or my religion or my party or my tribe, we all work. We work all day and all night. We know what the difference between sunshine. And it just becomes a debate. You could literally debate whether the sun is up or down. You know, how long is an inch or a centimeter? Now, those facts don't seem debatable, but the only reason they're not debatable is because no one is debating them. And no one is debating them because there is nothing about society that says you are shameful or wrong or an enemy for believing in the length of a centimeter or whether the sun is up or down. If there was a construct of shame or guilt or exclusion based on someone's belief in the length of a centimeter, again, as there is over, for instance, whether a poor person is lazy or a rich person is greedy or a person of one color or origin is better or worse at one thing or another, those things seem debatable. And in those debates, facts suddenly matter, but only because, again, we think they matter because we've attached our identity and value to these beliefs being true, beliefs being true or not. And so the lesson of fake news is this. When you're debating facts, you're not really debating facts. You're debating the value of your values. You're debating whether your tribe is more credible than their tribe. You're arguing who is right, not what is right. You think you're arguing what is right, but you're actually arguing for your worth, your value, your existence, which you perceive depends upon your rightness. <laughs> but again, all facts are debatable. So when we think of fake news, we're thinking of what we don't want, right? That's the old lizard brain, monkey brain concepts of physical conflict to resolve intrinsic human value. That's what we're talking about. It's physical conflicts to resolve human intrinsic human value. It's like trying to solve algebra by chewing bubble gum. It's like trying to teach a baby to think by making them fight harder. <laughs> so, so what do we want? And why do we want it with the social lesson of fake news? Well, if we're being honest with ourselves, and as I like to say, honesty silences the ego, 
we don't like fake news, if we're honest about it, why don't we like fake news? It's because we don't want to be fooled. Because again, being fooled makes us feel weak, uh, less than, disempowered, and that makes us want to regain our power through blame, revenge, conflict, right? You can feel that. Blame feels much better than feeling fooled or weak. But more importantly, that's the first part of why we hate fake news. But more importantly, why we hate fake news, what we really don't want with fake news, is that we don't want someone's belief in a falsehood affecting our lives or the lives of our loved ones uh, or whatever because of the fact that their misinformedness, their misinformation is now something they're acting and reacting upon you know, from that falsehood. So fake news ultimately makes us afraid that our world is in danger because of other people's wrongheadedness. Because again, clearly, uh, the reason we use a fact, and and frankly, we don't care whether it's real or an alternative fact. We really don't. The reason we use it, whether it's valid or not, is because when we want to support our ideology. And this social lesson, finally, this World War III in progress, which by the way, it is that is the yin or the yang. <laughs> the yin, the other side of that, is actually... And cooperatively, that we are in the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance in the history of mankind. You know, they're both happening simultaneously because we're we're conflicting out the previous modality and bringing in the new one at the same time. Always are the wave and the crest exist together. The crest never un- overtakes. I mean, the way, or the I see the, the 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 trough and the crest exist together. The trough will never overcome the crest of the wave and the crest doesn't exist without the trough of the wave. So this fake news conundrum (laughs) that we're facing is forcing us to become aware of our ideologies. And that's the good part because facts don't matter. (laughs) Your facts don't matter to me if they don't support my ideology and my facts are fake if they oppose your ideology. So again, you know, Muhammad Ali wasn't wasn't totally aware of the light of awareness of this evolution that he was shining on our society by his ideological objection to fighting and make, of, of might making right. But he wasn't even aware of it necessarily, but he dramatically moved us in the direction of questioning our ideology as much as our rightness. And and now that we're here in this simultaneously occurring renaissance and, and world wing, this is the tipping point where we become aware of the ideology as the issue and not the rightness. That is the first part of the lesson of fake news, that this is the time in history where we have you know, passed the 50% mark in our evolution. Not for everyone. You go, well, I know a lot of people that just love their fake news and they're never going to. Yeah, yeah. Many people will go to their grave believing that might makes right and righteousness is a battle, not a moving target of evolution and discovery and curiosity. They'll just still be clinging to their strength of conviction and have no curiosity about uh, what their ideology is or or whether their beliefs serve them or not. There are those who are never going to figure that out. But the majority of us and the next generation coming up and the more enlightened bearers of wisdom of the ages that make up, you know, because obviously there's a lot of folks that are not the next generation who are, who are, are uh, like yourself, probably listening right now, uh, that, you know, you get it. You see this. You, you and you make up a—we, a larger percentage of us, make up a collective force of consciousness that is greater in numbers and truth 
than the old tribal cycles of conflict. It is shifting and fading. It is coming up and it is happening. And so, again, fake news scares us because of two things. One, we don't want to be fooled because, again, being fooled makes us feel weak, less than, disempowered, etc. And we don't want fake news makes us afraid that our world's in danger because of their other those people's wrongheadedness. But the third thing we don't want from fake news, and here's the big punchline, the big reveal, ultimately, is that we don't want to disagree so vehemently that it perpetuates our war on facts, <laughs> that it continues the old idea. And there it is. In order to know what you don't want, in order to know what you do want, sometimes you got to know what you don't want. One of my favorite authors likes to say, and it is what we do want in that sentence. We don't want to disagree. So what do we want? That's the lesson. We want to agree. We want to agree. And you say, well, we can't agree. We're never going to agree. Wait a minute. The antidote to fake news isn't to make one ideology or another right or wrong or dominant. It is to promote and grow an ideology of agreement, of shared destiny, of mutual benefit. And it's happening. As soon as you hear me say that, you're thinking, well, yeah, you know, I've seen things fly down my Facebook page and people are always kind of talking about this more than I've ever seen them talk about this before. And we're doing it. And it is our job to train our brains and our citizenry to look for how we are in agreement rather than against. You know, because the media isn't, you know, at fault so much for promoting fake news or being wrong in the facts or being partisan. It is far more guilty of reflecting us by being rapidly competitive and tribal and us versus them. Everything is a fight, a war, a horse race. You know, things in the media are often almost always framed in conflict rather than cooperation, evolution, uh, you know, or cooperation or revolution. You know, it, it's about not about what being learned in the realization that we have identified that we don't what we don't want. It's more just conflict. So if the story, like, for instance, if the story of lead poisoning of the water supply of Flint, Michigan, you remember that's still ongoing. If that had been framed in the way of the ideology of agreement, rather the ideology of a conflict and differences, because again, our brains are comparative. Human brains are comparative, so you can't fault us for that, but it's also imaginative, and we have to tune into more of the imaginative part, and we are. So the way it could have been framed differently in Flint, Michigan, and lead poisoning, in the constant you know, uh, barrage of who was suffering and who was to blame, if reporters were trained in the ideology of agreement and cooperation as being you know, the salvation of humanity, because it is, they would have said things like, well... Uh, you know, uh, since we all agree that safe drinking water is a basic need and a basic right, you know, dot, 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 this is what we're going to do. Or since we all agree that safe drinking water is the real focus here, uh, then dot, 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 then they would then as we identify those who are suffering, instead of seeking the conflict, we would offer ways we can help them until the problem is fixed. And even as we identify who is to blame and, you know, and, 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 and remember, we remember that it's not a partisan conflict. It's a, it's a lesson in priorities. And though those involved, you know, we are going to receive the consequences for their action. They're going to get their karma. Let's make sure that the people of, you know, in this case, Flint are safe. Make that the highest priority where we agree. If we had an ideology of agreeing and that's what's being bored in the fake news era and not being born, it's being, it was already born, but now it's being, it's coming of age. It's, it's becoming dominant. And again, the next generation has a far better grasp of this. 
And even things like the educational system of Common Core, I'm, I'm married to an educator, so I know this. Common Core teaches children both critical and cooperative thinking. It's a high emphasis, team stuff, working in teams, working in groups, knowing that you rise together, that, that a rising tide lifts all boats. That's a big part of it because they realize that, that our humanity is what will make education because they're just being you know simple they're like well how do we get people educated that's what that's what common core is that's what the department of education is trying to do well the best way to get people educated they found is to up the level of humanity because then we will fix we will try struggle fail fix learn together you've heard me say it before in the show try struggle fail fix learn it's a great system and it works and that's kind of what the common core is because facts will never be you know people who are chasing the the the, the fact fight Think that it will be some sort of permanent rock that you can stand upon and defend and evolve humanity from the strength of your fact. No, humanity must evolve humanity by being more humanitarian <laughs> and agreeing more and finding commonality and mutual benefit. And, and, and that is taught and is being taught, and we're well underway, but we do have some way to go yet. <laughs> and that's why we're having this discussion, because awareness is high. We will get there. And fake news will be looked back upon in history as the obvious and necessary course correction of this information age. If you go in information age, you're going to have a fake news and a fake news course correction. Just like racism was the obvious side effect that would require correction, uh, you know, through education and through through kindness. That whenever a society of different ethnic ethnicities began to live among each other, as soon as they start to live among each other, racism is going to be the obvious side effect. And what's the answer? Humanity, shared destiny, shared purpose, because we are all in this together. In fact, I have a little expression I like to say, together is the only way you can do things in this universe. That's a law. We are all connected. And therefore, the sooner we reach the tipping point of an ideology of agreement, of mutual benefit, of shared destiny, the sooner we will be the change we are looking for. The God in us realized, the consciousness of our authentic selves, you know, discovered, self-realization itself. <laughs> so yeah, as Dr. Phil would say, let's do it. That's why I do this show. This is an extension of my practice and my purpose. And I do it with politics because politics is basically the roughest edge where we most vehemently bump into each other in our, in our shared evolution. But I want so much for you to see the glory and the grace and the unfolding process of this era that is, again, both the yin of World War III and the yang of the greatest social, political, economic, spiritual, technological renaissance. You know, as the Chinese proverb goes, one should be so lucky as to live in interesting times. Or in the words of uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda from the play Hamilton, look around, look around at how lucky we are to be alive right now. That is the truth. That is who we are. And next up, one of the other huge evolutions of our earnest society, the emerging, agreeing, cooperating new ideology of gender and sexual relations on the day Al Franken speaks about his future and Roy Moore and Donald Trump deny their parts. It's here on Possibility Politics, the show where we walk through the experiment called America and try to leave it better than we found her. I'm Jeff Stein. You found it. This is Possibility Politics where we feelize our way to a saner future. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks, Juan Velasquez, for producing the show as well as Premier Networks. And we are talking about, uh, well, now we're going to shift to <laughs> the gender debate that is going on in our world and the gender evolution. That is kind of like a thousand years in the making, <laughs> it seems like. It's been going on a very long time. 
And today, I, at the moment of this tracking, uh, for those who are listening to it later on online, is, is uh, I don't know what Al Franken has said yet. He's going to speak in a little bit, so this may or may not be relevant. But on the eve of that, uh, the women senators, mostly the Democratic ladies of the Senate, and geez, I think the number's up to almost 40 of the Democratic senators, male and female, have called for, uh, well, let me just play it for you. We need to make this right here within within the Capitol, within all of our offices. Um, again, as I stated before, and everybody can speak for themselves, but if you are a sexual harasser, go away. We, we don't want you. We don't want you as our colleague. Um, you know, our interns don't deserve that. Our staff doesn't deserve it. Uh, the women members of Congress don't deserve it. Yeah. And um, so, you know, to your point, I, again, I, everybody's got to speak for themselves, but my view on this is, is this is not a place to, to be a sexual harasser within these walls. Enough is enough. I mean, this is a conversation we've been having for a very long time, and it's a conversation that this country needs to have. And I think when we start having to talk about the differences between sexual assault and sexual harassment and unwanted groping, you are having the wrong conversation. You need to draw a line in the sand and say none of it is okay. None of it is acceptable. And we, as elected leaders, should absolutely be held to a higher standard, not a lower standard. And we should fundamentally be valuing women. I do not feel that he should continue to serve. Everyone will make their own judgment. Uh, I hope they do make their own judgment. I, I respect Senator Franken for the work that he has done as a senator on issues that are right now a lot of issues that we are fighting, like DACA and, and what we're doing around immigration. I think he's done good work as it relates to those kinds of issues. But frankly, the, the numerosity and, and of the, the complaints and allegations against him, I found to have weight. And there it is. Uh, they hit their tipping point. But first, the good news, right? Can you smell the awareness there? Do you smell it? <laughs> it's it's just so palpable. It's like your ultimate essential oils burning out of your burner, which everybody has nowadays. <laughs> everybody has essential oils burners. The essential oil burner is, we are now going to say out loud what we actually want. It's not even just awareness. Awareness is like, hey, we got a problem. Uh, it's beyond that. It's already been pivoting to the solution of, hey, we want to hold the Senate to the highest standard. Yeah, you could say, okay, if you work out in some private sector job and you're like, if you had your Al, your Al Franken or your John Conyers or your Blake Farenthold, uh, somebody who may not be on your radar, uh, he's one that's kind of trying to hide under the radar. He not only used 84000 or something thousand of taxpayer money to pay off a uh, staffer that he harassed, he also blackballed them and prevented that woman from ever... Uh, and they did. This is how unified it is in Congress. When I say they blackballed, these women, you can't even go to, especially if you're on the Republican side, I'm not making it partisan, but in this case, that's kind of, there's a difference. Because I would say, what we've seen clear in this, let me digress for a moment. Whether you're talking about John Conyers, Democrat, Alan Franken, Democrat, Blake, Flarenhold, Republican, Roy Moore, Republican, Donald Trump, Republican, clearly sexually inappropriate behaviors and power plays are nonpartisan. Can we recognize that, please? It's not one party or the other that has its harassers. You could say, oh, well, they're worse than our... No, 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 no. Because then you're back to, again, like atop the show, fighting over what's right or what's wrong. What do you want to really fight over? Which is the ideology of agreement, which says that, well, what do we want? Well, we want the Senate and the Congress and the House to be held to a standard of decency. If you're going to represent the public, uh, we don't want you to be a sexual harasser. That's what these women are saying. And that is a beautiful thing. And you say, well, and they even make the point, like Kamala Harris there made the point, 
She loves Al Franken. Al Franken did a great job. You know, some people love Roy Moore's ability to quote the Bible and and st- speak of Jesus. And that's one thing when people say, I, I, I evangelicals, ah, they're so out of, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, I love when they talk about, you know, Jesus and God and the power of love, I get the same chills they do. Now, when they talk about exclusion and sin and judgment, I say judgment is mine, saith the Lord, not yours. Not ours, not mine, but mine meaning the Lord, right? Leave judgment. And the point of that statement was leave judgment out of it. Forgive, accept, love, embrace, seek the ideology of agreement. And so that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And again, I don't know what, uh, you know, uh, Al Franken is going to do, but there isn't much choice. He's really got two choices. He's got to resign, which, you know, uh, because the difference here, the point I was going to make, Sexually inappropriate behavior and power plays are nonpartisan, but the reaction and the actions taken by each faction is shaping up to have a partisan divide. Because one thing we are noticing is the way in which the Democrats are handling it and the way in which the Republicans are handling it, there is a partisan divide. And I'm not saying one is right or wrong. I'm not trying to figure out who's right or wrong, remember? I'm just trying to figure out what do we want? What do we want? We want women to be seen as equal human beings. Duh, I can't even believe that you even say that. I mean, I don't even think of that. I just go equal. We're different for our plumbing and we're different for our physical components in general senses. But I don't believe for a second that there isn't something that anybody can do that that, that their gender. And then that's a great thing. The next generation coming up, they, again, they don't think gender is limiting they don't think gender is limiting to who you love, and they don't think gender is limiting to who you what what you can do or who you can be. And that is what we are learning. And the way we're learning it is is holding a standard. And this is a great lesson. You say, God, it's so sad that the Republicans are are have rallied behind Roy Moore, who is boasting about his Alabama values being brought to uh to Washington, right? They're gonna bring his his Alabama values to Washington. When he tweeted that, oh man, did he get a reaction from Twitter? Uh, yeah, they're gonna. He said, "Here's his original tweet, tweets." You know, I think they're afraid, Roy Moore. I think they're afraid I'm gonna take Alabama values to Washington, and I can't wait. Here were the responses: They're afraid you're gonna rape some teens, you sick idiot. What Alabama values are you referring to? Voters keep electing politicians who are corrupt, won't follow laws, and have to be removed from office. Example: You twice. <laughs> he was removed from the bench of the of the Supreme Court twice. Actually, I am kind of afraid you will take Obama, Alabama values to Washington. And then another person writes, tweets, besides the whole you're a pedophile thing, there's also this about Alabama's values. It ranks number 47th in healthcare, number 47th in education, among all 50 states, obviously, number 45 in economy, 42 in crime and corrections, 42 in government, number 50 in infant mortality, number 49 in obesity. Which of these are you wanting to bring? Plus, you can't keep a job, says the Twitter uh, response. Another one, there's so much wrong with this tweet, I don't even know where to start. Uh, another one. You mean st- stalking young girls at the mall type of values? Yes, everyone is afraid of that. Is dating high school girls an Alabama value or just a Roy Moore value? <laughs> Actually, we're afraid you're going to molest more kids, you repugnant creep. Even Ivanka doesn't share your values. And in this funniest one, Ed Robinson tweeted, I think they're afraid uh, you're going to treat the National Mall just like the mall back home. <laughs> 
That's the education that we are receiving, and it is going well. We are well into awareness, and we are moving into focusing and addressing what we actually want in this world. Okay, coming up, we're going to go around the news and see what's going on in uh, social justice. A lot of interesting stuff there. Uh, The impeachment of President Trump. (laughs) That's going to be uncomfortable. Then Russia, 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 coming up on Possibility Politics. Possibility Politics. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for listening. Check us out on uh, Facebook and Twitter, Possibility Politics. The independence, this is the independent state of mind uh, where we look at this gorgeous country in all her complicated glory and love her exactly the way she is. You know, it's an interesting note that we call a uh, country her. Uh, that, of course, is uh, both homage and guilt of the male-dominated society, right? Since men are going to dominate everything and, and try to use women as property for the previous thousands of years, then if we call important things her, somehow that's some sort of makes up for it. You know, if we call a Navy ship a her, then uh, I'm not dissing them. Call them her. Call them her. <laughs> call your ships her. I think it's a great homage. But let's focus more on the homage than the guilt of uh, oppression being made up for by naming objects out of women. That doesn't objectify. Wow, what a crazy metaphors just came out of nowhere there. That is a beautiful thing. Uh, so I don't know what Al Franken did, uh, again, at the, t- the time of tracking the show, but I think he only has two choices. He, could, he pretty much has to resign, mainly because the Democrats have decided that in this debate, uh, they're going to take the high road. And they don't always take the high road. And, of course, on the on the right, if you're looking at Fox News and, and, and Newsmax and these different Drudge Report, you're seeing all these articles about what hypocrites they are. They're attacking these women who are coming out against Al Franken for many of them supporting Bill Clinton, right? And they're saying, well, you're a hypocrite. And there it is. Do you want to focus on the right and wrongness? Do you want to try to identify the hypocrites in the tribe that you don't have, aren't loyal to or don't identify with just so that you can take them down? Or do you want to recognize what the evolution is and forgive people for their hypocrisies and allow them to evolve to who they are now? Because what they're saying is that I don't know what I said about women, what I tolerated about men or women in the past and harassment and sexual harassment or whatever, but now it is clear to me I see the light, right? Amazing Grace, one of my favorite religious hymnals, right, which was written by a former slave owner who recognized that his oppression of a race of people and considering them less man, less than was in direct contradiction to everything he read in his Bible And so, you know, how amazing grace, how sweet the sound, you know, that saved a wretch like me by recognizing my error and evolving forward. And man, are we evolving. Not everybody. We get the lesson still. We get the lesson shown. Alabama is going to show us. Again, we don't know if Al Frank is going to resign or the only thing else I could think he could do was to maybe... Uh, maybe I'll be prescient, maybe I'll predict this and be right, is to say, I'm going to stay and until the ethics committee is complete, and then I will willingly and honorably respect its decisions and step down at that exact moment. And the only reason I think he might do that is because this latest allegation, he is vehemently denying. The previous ones, he was like, yeah, I remembered a little differently, but yes, I did do that. And yes, I did do that. And he seems to be trying to be a straight shooter in the light of this uh, potentially career-ending mistake. And it's all about context, right? 
when even just a year ago, you could ignore that Donald Trump was grabbing women, was bragging about his sexual assault. If you saw, if you didn't catch Billy Bush on the Stephen Colbert show on late, uh, it, that is something to see. To watch a man trying to rebuild his career, who basically made the mistake of hearing the riffs, the sexual nastiness of a of a powerful man riff, uh, and he thought it was he couldn't tell if it was satire or or you know explaining how he actually treats women and kind of giggled along because he's paid to suck up to celebrities and I'm not excusing him and he's not excusing himself either he accepts and knows that it is wrong and he has to live with it but he was fired Donald Trump uh, was elevated so this is the difference right and they're trying to project it of course Donald Trump is defending Roy Moore if he says Roy Moore's a predator the next question is well what about you you got 20 accused, 15 uh, conservative estimates, 12 accusers, uh, liberal estimates, liberal, <laughs> larger estimates, 20 uh, or so. So, you know, we're getting this. And Roy in Alabama, they may elect it. They may elect Roy Moore because they're so tribal down there. And I'm sorry to be that judgy about y'all in Alabama. Uh, but there's an excellent chance that the tribalism may just be also on the surface and some revelation may occur underneath. I could easily see a lot of, especially women, even very religious women who are supposed to be on the Bible-thumping Roy Moore bandwagon of putting Ten Commandments in front of the courthouse, I could see some of them saying to all their friends and their husbands and their colleagues, oh yeah, Roy Moore, I believe I don't believe the women, they're lying, and then go into the booth and vote against him or not vote at all or leave it blank because they might have the sense that they're going to regret that vote, that someday they're going to go, I voted for Roy Moore and that's gross. But if he does win and odds are, you know, if it's Alabama, he might win, right? The lesson will continue because he will be brought into the Senate and then you will see and lessons are so much easier when they're blacker and whiter, when they're sharper of contrast. And it will be a very sharp contrast to see Roy Moore being elevated for being a pedophile and Al Franken being removed uh, because he doesn't meet the standards, the high standards that the U.S. Senate should maintain. As uh, Rachel Maddow says, watch this space. It is going to be very fascinating to do. Meanwhile, the impeachment debate um, uh, continues. It is a House, Congress House rule that you can ask for a vote on impeachment. Anybody can, and you can't deny somebody that vote. And somebody did, and here's uh, what Al Green said. Um, his name is Al Green. He's from Texas. You might know who he is. And he, uh, as he was voting, of course, he made his speech. And a good many people in the United States of America are of the opinion, Mr. Speaker, that impeachment is not only appropriate, but necessary. And so the vote was 58 for impeachment, 368 against. There's like 20 or be like 20, was that 19, 29 that uh, didn't vote or voted to abstain. I don't know what they did, but 58. Actually, that's faster than I expected. I didn't expect he would get that many people this early. It's... It's a squishy topic, and it's very clear to most people in Congress, uh, except for those who absolutely refuse to believe it, is that the Russia stuff is right on Trump's doorstep. And here's a random theory real quick that you might appreciate. Some of the latest news, uh, it appears that Jeff Sessions has testified, and one thing he did is he absolutely categorically refused to ask questions, answer questions about what he said 
to Donald Trump or what Donald Trump said to him. And he claimed no privilege. He had no right to do it. And the Republicans could have held him in contempt, but they didn't. They just accepted that nah, he's just not going to stay. And so in other words, he just he insulated Donald Trump. Donald Trump Jr. went into testify just yesterday too, and he did the same thing. He just he claimed this attorney-client privilege when there's no attorneys and no client uh, that he would not reveal what he said to his dad or what his dad said to him. And Jared Kushner apparently did the same thing, and a couple other uh, White House staffers did the same thing. And so there may be this weird emerging strategy. I had this theory, and if I had this theory, I can guarantee you Bob Mueller is already way ahead of it, and he is because he has pardon-proofed it, and that's the theory. Is that if they can, if this cabinet who was already clearly busted uh, for colluding and working with Russia and using the breaking the law of uh, tapping a foreign government's resources or influence in order to win a domestic election, that law alone is clearly broken. So they might have this weird strategy in their in their mind that if they all can just lie uniformly and just just not say a word about Donald Trump then they can create the plausible circumstance that he was completely ignorant, that all of the cabinet from Mike Pence all the way down had completely a knowledge of it, completely orchestrated it, but he had no idea. And here's why. Because they indict, Bob Mueller indicts all of those folks, and then Donald Trump, who goes, hey, I didn't have any idea, he doesn't get indicted, keeps his presidency, and pardons them all. Now, He's not going to get away with that. That's not going to happen. Uh, Bob Mueller is vastly smarter than that. But I can easily see that that's what they think is going to happen and is going to work. <laughs> Again, we shall see. Last thing. Uh, Sports Illustrated had a award ceremony. It airs Friday and Saturday for their, um, what's called the, the Muhammad Ali, they have all their awards, all their sports awards, but one of the awards is for the Muhammad Ali Legacy Award. And that's one of the things I bookend the show with that. You want to know who the winner of the Muhammad Ali Legacy Award is for, uh, you know, having a selfless heart and working for social causes through your athletic platform? Ding, you got it. Colin Kaepernick. And he it made a great speech. And Beyonce uh, introduce him. Thank you, Colin Kaepernick. Thank you for your selfless heart and your conviction. Thank you for your personal sacrifice. Colin took action with no fear of consequence or repercussion, only hope to change the world for the better, to change perception, to change the way we treat each other, especially people of color. We're still waiting for the world to catch up. It's been said that racism is so American that when we protest racism, some assume we are protesting America. So let's be very clear, says Beyonce. Colin has always been very respectful of the individuals who selflessly serve and protect our country and our communities and our families. His message is solely focused on social injustice for historically disenfranchised people. Let's not get that mistaken. In Kaepernick's speech, he says, I say this as a person who receives credit for using my platform is the people, he says. I say this as a person who receives credit for using my platform to protest systemic systemic oppression, racialized injustice, and the dire consequences of anti-blackness in America. I accept this award not for myself, but on behalf of the people. Because if you were were not for my love of people, I would not have protested. And it was not for the support for the people, I would not be on this stage today. With or without the NFL's platform, I will continue to work for the people because my platform is the people. Pretty classy, right? That's more of what we do want instead of what we don't want. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you see it as some sort of battle uh, against police, it is not. It is for racial equality. And it is working. So there you go. This is the home of truth, justice, sarcasm, laughs, and epiphanies, all while looking at the American way of life. Thank you for listening. 
This has been Possibility Politics with Jeff Stein. The social, political, pop cultural discussion show that looks at life through the rose colored eyes of the almost criminally optimistic Jeff Stein. 